In this episode, special guest Duran Young shares her personal story about discovering internal family systems work, how she uses that work to claim and heal unseen parts of herself, as well as racial trauma and the legacy burden in the Black community, how to have safe conversations around race and trauma, as well as Duran's experiences of being Muslim for five years and being in the Air Force for 17, and her fascination with unicorns and believing in the magical. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Embody Podcast, a show about remembering and embodying your true nature, inner wisdom, embodied healing, and self-love. My name is Candace Wu, and I'm a holistic healing facilitator, intuitive coach, and artist sharing my personal journey of vulnerability, offering meditations and guided healing support, and having co-creative conversations with healers and wellness practitioners from all over the world. So before we jump into the episode today, I want to share that there's a new class on dream work in Skillshare that I created. This is a class on how to prepare your body and your physiology to be able to best remember your dreams. In order to remember our dreams and to be able to cultivate the wisdom and the meanings of our dreams, the questions that open up for us to uh, live out different parts of ourselves and bring in empowerment and wisdom, we need to be able to feel safe in our bodies and the ability to explore with curiosity and playfulness, as well as to be able to daydream. So this class is part one of two that explore and guide you through practices that help you to create a safer embodied uh, life as well as better sleep and therefore being able to better remember your dreams. You can find the class on Skillshare, which is a paid membership. You can find this class about creating the blueprints of your physiology for a dream life to flourish at candicewu.com slash dreamphysiology. You can also find the first class that I have about the 101 basics around remembering your dreams and how to record and harvest them at candicewu.com slash dreamclass1. If you go to either of these links, you can join Skillshare and have two months free or their latest promotion of uh, a premium membership, which is usually a couple of months free or the first couple of months for 99 cents. And thereafter, it's usually about $10 a month. And you can also access plenty of other classes by other teachers, teachers that are offering um, creative classes, inspirational classes, as well as informative ones. So I'd love for you to join me there and feel free to share with me any topics that you'd like to learn more about in a, in a more in-depth way. And in particular, this class is going to give you specific breathing techniques, yogic and body-centered practices and meditations that you can use to ground yourself, develop that safety and playfulness in your body, and for your dreams to thrive. So all of these will support your nervous system in feeling a level of deep rest and relaxation and give your body the capacity to remember your dreams better than before. Again, that class is at candicewood.com slash dreamphysiology. So let's jump in today. It's great to have you back here, and I hope you enjoy this really fun conversation that I had with Duran Young. She's fantastic and offers very good insight about how to bring more learning and understanding across culture and across uh, racial difference as well as other difference. Duran Young is a licensed clinical social worker and the founder of Black Therapists Rock, which is a nonprofit organization geared towards increasing awareness of social and emotional challenges that impact marginalized populations. And she previously served in the U.S. Air Force for 17 years. She's an internationally experienced clinician, who's practiced in over five countries and most recently supported a week-long internal family systems training in China in October 2018. She's also been featured in the Huffington Post as one of 10 Black female therapists you should know, and I think this conversation will show you exactly why that is the case. 
she's a complete advocate for everyone's growth and learning and uh, that peace across all different types of people and that connection that bonds us spiritually. And if you're here for unicorns and unicorns only, because that's what inspired you to listen to the episode, tune in because I love how Duran shares her fascination with unicorns and unburying her unicorn self. So without further ado, I want to introduce to you Duran Young. All right. I'm thrilled to have you here today, Duran. I truly appreciate the way you're showing up in the world. I feel I feel that you're so candid and vulnerable and being yourself as well as encouraging and supporting others to be on their own journey of healing, of empowerment, self-awareness, and engaging others in conversations about very important topics. Um, you're an advocate of marginalized populations. You have a nonprofit called Black Therapists Rock, and you've practiced social work in five different countries, and you even were in the Air Force for 17 years. <laughs> yes. Hello, Duran. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a busy life. <laughs> it's been a busy life, right? Sure. How did you how did you get to where you are today? Uh well, what I know now is that I have a part that uh, keeps me very busy. Um partially because that's the way my childhood was. Uh and I think for a lot of black women that's kind of the norm for our life and that's what we know to be uh not just survival but kind of um our existence is that, you know, we have, we're very uh, multifaceted, you know, have a lot of labels, a lot of hats that we wear, and it becomes something that we enjoy and also something to be very mindful and aware of. Uh, so for me, like I said, growing up as the oldest child of um, um, a mother who had three children and was addicted to substances and had a lot of uh, untreated mental health issues, I was kind of the, the, I would say the first in charge. I wouldn't even say the second in charge. It was like, you know, I had to, had to constantly know what was going on, um, be planning ahead, always thinking, always uh, future oriented and moving forward. And so it's, it's become a, a big part of my personality. And for a little while, I started mm -hmm. to resent that, um, you know, because I got to a place um, in my early thirties where I was exhausted. Um, but now I know because I'm more aware of it, right, I can talk to that part and really get some insight from it and listen to its wisdom that it has for me. And not just, you know, being busy for the sake of being busy, but being focused on the things that I'm called to do. Lovely. Yeah. And so when you say part, I know what you mean. Um, you're talking about a part of you and um, but I think this is a very essential way that you're speaking uh, in terms of working with the parts of you and in specifically, I think you, you're working with internal family systems. Um, can you explain a bit about how you see internal family systems for anyone out there that's listening in that doesn't know about it? Right. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm kind of getting over a cold as well. <clears throat> I have a six-year-old. That's okay. Who keeps me healthy. <laughs> I was going to say, you mean gives you like the test of, right. <laughs> of uh, germs coming in and out. My immune system is always, yes, tested. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so what I've learned from my own journey and from the people that I've, uh, you know, kind of walked alongside their journey is that many of us experience different dynamics in our life. And some of them feel more close to who we truly are. And some of them feel like things that we've had to create to just survive life. Um, and so from my, from my explanation of what internal family systems is, it's really just, you know, in our traumas, we, we create or we develop protectors that help us keep putting one foot in front of the other, basically. Um, they help us manage risk mm -hmm. in life. They tell us what's safe, what's not safe. Um, and, give us kind of some intuitive knowledge about how to navigate the world. And so uh, we learn these things and some of us will sometimes try to unlearn them or disregard them. Um, and as a therapist who specialized in trauma, what I noticed when I was working particularly with the military population 
is this big urge to really get rid of these thoughts or urges or feelings, you know, just disregard them, um, try to come up with a plan to overcome them, if you will, um, and not really listen to them or get to know them in any way. And so from the, I'll mm-hmm. say, you know, from the cognitive behavior, behavioral therapy uh, perspective for me, it never really worked because I didn't understand how I kept coming back to these, um, these thoughts, these feelings, these emotions, um, or these behaviors. Like I could, you know, um, overcome them for a temporary time, but it seemed very natural for me to find myself back to those things. And so I began to get curious about, you know, if, if I have this tendency to keep coming back to them, why is that? So maybe I need to understand how they got here in the first place. Like what is their core um, being, if you will, and how did they originate? Mm-hmm. And what is it that I need to know in order to really honor them, right? These thoughts, these feelings, and these these things that I'm doing, these patterns that I'm experiencing. Um, and to me, that's really the definition of self-love when people talk about you know, all my life people said, oh, you just need to learn how to sell, how to love yourself. And I say, well, is there a book for that? Like, is there a manual? <laughs> how do you learn this? <laughs> you <know? laughs> right. How, how do you love yourself? Yeah. Right. And we throw that around so frequently. I find that, you know, everybody's like, oh, self-love, self-love, self-love. But no one can actually tell you what that looks like. Um, And so when I found IFS, I found kind of a way, my own unique way to um, really practice self-love. And it starts with self-awareness. Like I said, respect for all of my experiences and what they've taught me. Mm -hmm. And just getting to know the internal experience and the internal journey that has made up Duran Young. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm really with you on that. I I think self-love is... It just can mean so many different things, but when you when it comes down to knowing all the different parts of you, knowing the pieces pieces of you that make up who you are today, or um, where you resist, or where there's some tension in you, or different parts speaking up, it's um, at least for me, it's given me such so much more ease in myself to accept and love those parts to know them really, if I'm not going to yeah. use the word love so we can define it a little better, but like to get to know them right. and feel through them and how they yeah. engage with each other. Yeah. Yep. Um, other words that really come to mind when I think about IFS and self-love is, you know, grace. I, I got to a point, I want to say about four years ago, where I just realized I'm just a human, <laughs> you know, like I don't have all the answers to life. I, I'm, I don't know why I'm expecting myself to have it figured out Yeah. Um, and allow myself to have some grace in the not knowing and to really um, just embrace that, embrace the grace, embrace self-compassion. Um, and in the military, that wasn't, I wasn't, there was no place for that. There wasn't a place for compassion, let alone self-compassion, you know, um, because I had to be focused on duty. Mm-hmm. And now I realize those two can coexist, but I had to learn how. I had to learn how to be responsible, you know, how to still have a strong sense of duty and work ethic and also have compassion for myself. And I think, again, you know, for a lot of black women, that's not a privilege that we've had, you know, throughout our experience is, you know, that's often seen as you're feeling bad for yourself or pitying yourself. But really, there's a difference, I think, mm-hmm. when it comes to really just having grace with yourself. That's definitely different from having pity. It's yeah. Is this what you're talking about with a legacy burden in the black community? Is this related? Oh yeah. Yeah. Can you speak more about that? Absolutely. One of the gifts, the the, the biggest gifts, I think that um, IFS has really given me is that I now acknowledge the legacy burdens that were passed down to me, and I get to decide and be aware of what I'm passing down to my son, because, like I said, you know. Um, it's kind of unconscious if you if you're not aware that things have passed been passed down to you through culture, through history, through political strife, you know, through influences of society. Um, mm-hmm. Then you're taking it all in, and you're just discharging it to others that you love, and you don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I noticed that there was I had a big legacy burden. I still kind of struggle with it around um, being strong 
And I think a lot of us have that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, I have to be strong. I can't show emotion. I can't be vulnerable. Um, You know, I I can't let others know that I'm not okay. I have to be strong. I can't make a mistake. I can't admit that I've made a mistake. Um, And I have to be loyal to a fault. I just have to be strong. And I noticed that kind of my son, he was starting, you know, at five years old, he was starting to blame himself for things. And I'm like, what's this about? Mm. Um, And I realized that he's only practicing what he's learned uh, firsthand from me. And so we started to talk about that, you know, like, you know, taking ownership for only what's yours and that you don't have to take on things that that you feel you, you know, you're seeing mom take on or that um, that you think mom wants you to take on. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that I can be really active in my parenting and mindful and approach it in a way that is present and grounded. You know, even the influences of society as to gender, what what boys do and what girls do. You know, we really have a lot of good conversations about that, um, my son and I, because I feel like it's so important as a little black boy that he hears my message. He hears my own lessons of what it means to be, you know, in his body and not just taking in what he's learning at school or from his peers or from TV, but really having a counter to all of those messages as well. Absolutely. I love that you're having those really important conversations with him. And for you, um, some of what you're advocating or increasing awareness around is how uh, marginalized populations have experienced social or emotional challenges or um, the impact on their experience in the world. Is that part of what you're talking about with your son or how do you address that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I'll never forget it. Like I was really anxious about him starting kindergarten last year uh, because I remember a lot of painful experiences going into the school setting. And I hadn't remembered him, of course, until he turned five. <laughs> um, uh, kids yeah. have a way of really reminding us of our own pain, you know, uh, prior past experiences. And uh, one day in the middle of the school year, he came home and said, you know, mom, I wish I was white like everybody else. And that was such a familiar feeling to me. And and the first, my first instinct was to blame the school and to take him out of the school and to get really angry and just be filled with rage. Like mama bear. Because I thought, how could my, yeah. yeah. And I thought, how could my son, like I talk, we talk about race all the time. We're very proud of our culture and our heritage and our history. So why, how is it that he's coming home from school at five years old saying, He thinks that what he is is wrong. He thinks that what he is is inferior. Someone had told him Mm -hmm. that uh, Brown wasn't the best, Mm -hmm. right? And so, again, we interpret these messages of being inferior. And that that has a, it plays a role on our psyche. It plays a huge role on our psyche. And so once that got activated in me, I went back to my five-year-old little girl who felt that same pain and was just over, you know, overcome with emotion. And because of IFS, you know, I was able, after a few weeks, it took me some time, I'll be honest, I had to really process it with some peers and and get some help for this. Um, But I was able to kind of separate and see my core self, my highest, wise version of Duran, and see that little girl who was hurting at five years old, who didn't have anyone to talk to about it, who felt ashamed and, and felt like I needed to keep it a secret that I felt so different as a dark-skinned Black girl in Texas, um, mm-hmm. entering all white spaces, you know, that that had to be a secret or it couldn't I couldn't talk about what that experience was like. And so I saw that that was different for my son, that at least, you know, he does have a safe place where he can come home and express this. And he cried about oh, it, you know, wow. um, and that 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 is normal. Yeah. You know, that pain that you're feeling is real. Um, and that I could hold him and be you know, have a really uh, empowering space for him to process all of the emotion that comes with that, right? Uh, And like I said, initially, I couldn't do that because I was so stuck in my own pain and and hurt and anger that I I just, I wasn't of any help to him. It was like, we're two five-year-old kids. Yeah, but then you did work with your five-year-old self and then you got to give him what you didn't get. Exactly, and to me, that's what it means to heal from legacy burdens, you know, to really disrupt the generational trauma line or the cycle of fear and um, overwhelm, if you will. 
Absolutely. I can really relate to that, Duran. I, I was thinking about my five-year-old self as you were talking about that. And it's more like a, my whole entire younger self, maybe even right. up to my 20s or something that kept that kind of inferior experience silent, um, being mm-hmm. Chinese American and living in a white, mostly white area, but having really no outlet or even awareness that that could be part mm-hmm. of my experience. And then later coming to find, wow, oh my gosh, that actually was there for that whole time. But um, absolutely, like working with not just a part of me, but like an aspect of me among many parts or many younger parts of me. Um, I just think it's so powerful that you're bringing that to your son and that's an open conversation. Yeah. And I just want to really like open that conversation to the world, to our society. Mm-hmm. Like, I really feel like these are the conversations that need to be had. Our country is based on and built on a lot of oppression and marginalization on years, hundreds of years of, since our existence, really, of marginalized people not being heard, not being validated, not being seen. And there's been some trauma that's built up because of that. There's some pain involved in that that's has been hidden and suppressed. And so I really feel like, you know, we're in a great time and a great, it's a great opportunity for all of us to come together and talk about either side of things, whether you're, you've been on the side where, you know, you haven't been, um, you haven't been, you haven't felt that you were oppressed, but you're part of the privileged side of it. Um, or you're part of the people who have felt oppressed by classism or sexism or racism Mm -hmm. Um, and how things overlap because racism is just one aspect of it. There's so many layers and intersectionalities that have to be discussed. Like they have Mm -hmm. to be included in the conversation. Like I said, with my son, you know, as a black boy, you know, I'm having to face the fact that black men are being gunned down in the streets and what that, the, the fear that that induces in me and to be mindful of how to protect him in a real sense without creating kind of emotional barriers for him. Right. And I still, that's something that I still don't have the answer to, mm-hmm. but I'm able to give myself some grace and some compassion as I, you know, really just forge that journey to know that it's going to be painful. It's, it's a painful thing. You know, it would be abnormal if I didn't experience that kind of pain. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a completely unknown space in right. a way. Right. Because everything's changing and yet this is still this violence is still happening exactly at the same time yeah talking about cross-cultural communication and having these open conversations it it's so hard to see on facebook people trying to have these conversations and yet they just turn into attacking right and i think that having a safe space is so important but how what do you think is important in terms of how we begin these conversations or how we continue them? How do we create some, a space for that? Yeah. Um, again, you know, I think that's why IFS been, has been so helpful to me in my role as, as the founder of Black Therapist Rock and why I'm so passionate about getting more Black therapists um, trained in this model is because mm-hmm. it really lays out a format for us to create safety to talk about things that no one else is talking about. Um, At the most recent IFS conference, uh, I had a white therapist, a middle-aged white man come to me and said that he he felt that there was a block or barrier that he was having um, as it relates to having this kind of conversation with people. And he, he really felt disconnected with me and he wanted to be connected, you know? So, so just, knowing that there's a desire there. I think there's a desire for all of us. It's a natural desire to connect to all human beings. Mm -hmm. And our parts are what get in the way, right? Our fears, our our difficulties with managing the emotion that comes up is what gets in the way with us connecting. And so, you know, I was able to, using the IFS model, I was able to work through the steps with him and we were able to have this really beautiful connection that was healing for or therapeutic for both myself and him. You know, he'll tell me every so often just how meaningful that was for him. 
And I can't express enough just how meaningful it was for me as well. Like I haven't had that kind of connection with a Caucasian middle-aged man. You know, I don't get to have those experiences very often. Yeah. And I think we we gain something, you know, when we're able to uh, come together and see each other for who we really are as, you know, mutual souls, you know, that are on a journey to learn and love one another. I think that we we all have a lot to gain from that. Absolutely. It, and I think it's really interesting how you do integrate the spiritual component, like speaking of the soul and your core being. And you have this way of weaving that all together with this reality of what's happening and the many different parts. And how do you how do you see the connection between spirituality and all of the intersectionality of identity and who we are? Yeah, the challenge of that. So for me, you know, um, I really, especially, uh, I've seen it in my son a lot. You know, when you you see children who haven't really been tainted yet and <laughs> they're still innocent, um, you see <laughs> this this classic love of everything, this curiosity, this openness, um, and it's like we evolve, you know, we evolve when we can come from a place of open-hearted curiosity and acceptance and love. We, re- I, I think that we just, it, that's what spirituality is all about. It's about um, understanding how to love yourself and others and how to bring more of that to the world. That's, I, I believe that is the, the primary purpose of all of us being here. Um, and so when you think of a, how, a higher power or the creator or the universe, um, this divine being that facilitates our, you know, that helps facilitate our growth and our journey and us having all that we can have here in this experience of being in a body. Um, I think it's mm-hmm. important that, you know, children, again, they have so much to teach us from that because they're new. <laughs> they're, they just got here. So they don't, yeah. they don't know all the things that we know. They're not afraid in the ways that we're afraid. And so they're more willing to express love and openness and uh, to really learn in a way that is deep and that is fulfilling. And to me, that's that's what spirituality is all about, regardless of what label you put it on um, in terms of religion. You know, I do identify as a Christian. However, that's just one layer, <laughs> you know, like. Um, I do believe that Christ was someone who taught us how to love, who taught us um, what it meant to be open um, and accepting, and he is a good example. But I believe there are many other examples as well. I believe that we still have present day examples and people that we need to learn from and be open to. And so I don't, I'm not a person who just kind of narrowly focuses in on spirituality. I really believe that there's uh, a lot to learn from most religions. Um, I've practiced as a, a Muslim before. For five years, I was a Muslim. Um, I've studied uh, Buddhism. Um, I'm just a very open person. And I believe that's how our our spirit or our soul really can evolve is when we are open, when we don't have fears or barriers around what could be. That's so interesting that you studied all the different religions and you were a Muslim for five years. And I'm also just combining that with your travels. Mm-hmm. And being in different cultures, I imagine, what what stands out to you about your learning or your growth through those experiences? Yeah, I'm really open to learning from other souls. You know, I, I don't want to yeah. restrict my learning of self in the world to just the, um, you know, 50 states in America. <laughs> I want to expand to the, this global context that we have of different people from different, you know, backgrounds approaching life all types of ways. Um, And again, I think it's all about evolution of you and me, you know, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, really just sitting in with when I encounter someone else's soul or someone else's spirit, how does that energy, that exchange of energy um, influence me or what I believe and how does it help me um, believe more? Yeah, I can really relate to that. I'm in Ireland at the moment, and culturally, it's very different for me. And uh, to be more specific, I'm learning a way of, you see, I'm 
quite used to connecting with people on a deeper level Mm -hmm. with my work and just the podcast. And, um, you know, you and I are, you don't know each other very well here. And yet we're talking about some, some deep things, um, to some degree. And here I'm not having those conversations at all. And Mm. when they're brought up, it's, it's brought up in banter. (laughs) <laughs> it really challenges me, but yeah. that's part of what I love as well is to learn from different energies and see what it brings up in me and where it uh, challenges maybe a dark spot in me or a spot in me that I never even considered mm-hmm. or just feeling into another way. So yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, the discomfort is where we learn. Um, you know, I've, I've made my purposely, you know, or intentionally made myself uncomfortable at times as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just to see, you know, what, what else is there, you know, that yeah. I'm a very, like I said, a ever evolving person. And the day that I stop learning and stop, stop evolving, then my purpose for being here is no longer there. So I think it's really important to just constantly that curiosity, about the external world and also about your internal journey, your your internal experience is is so important. Absolutely. So I'm so curious, what was the Air Force like for you? (laughs) Really, really hard, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, people, it's it's so interesting because people are still like, I can't believe you were in the military. And I'm like, I can't believe I was in the military. <laughs> yeah, I, I was surprised to read that in your biography yeah. and to know that about you. I just didn't. Wow. So, what was hard about it? It goes back to that multiplicity and how, you know, we really are capable of so much more than we think we are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, even when we think we aren't. Um, and you were capable of it for 17 years. <laughs> yeah. What I loved about the military is that um, I really got to interact with people from all over the world. Um, and that's to me is a journey that has been priceless to just, I'm, because I'm so passionate about culture and diversity, the military was this perfect setting to really experience that in my work, um, you know, on a daily basis, because the military attracts people from all types of countries um, all types of religions, all classes. And so it really was a diverse workplace. I will say that. It also took me to countries that I may have never even experienced. And it's different to experience a place as a visitor versus when you actually live and work there. So when I was uh, in Italy for two years, I got to really immerse myself in the culture and learn from it. Um, people would say I was really morbid but I was on the, the tail of a divorce when I got stationed in Italy and I landed there with a two-year-old and the first week I just cried my eyes out because I said, now how the hell am I going to be able to travel as a single mom with a two-year-old, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and I just, it just felt so impossible. Um, but after I got to really know the Italian culture, I realized that it's all, it's, their culture is really about resting and about people. Um, and so it was a perfect place for me. It was a perfect place for my son. Wow. He got to learn Italian. Um, he got to experience the culture, even I think in a deeper way than I did. And we were able to travel more than what we've been able to travel here. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we travel, I think we went to eight different countries um, wow. while we were there. And not just in mm-hmm. Europe, we got to see uh, the Middle East. We went to Dubai, uh, Saudi Arabia and Oman. And then we got to see a lot of Asia as well. Um, so it was a, a real period of exploration for us, an actual real rest that I think is very different than what you find on a day-to-day basis here in America. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So uh, what challenges you right now? What are you grappling with around IFS or race, identity, gender, ethnicity, and any topic, what's, what are you tussling with? What are the sticky points? Yeah, there's a lot of sticky yeah. points. <laughs> I think I'm more aware of them now instead of trying to just, you know, shove them to the side and move on. Oh, yeah. I'm more like, okay, let's, yeah, let's pay attention to that. That that might be important. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm with you on that. It's like, oh, ooh, ooh, that's uncomfortable, but okay. Yes, right. what is it? <laughs> 
Yeah. I would say uh, number one would be my journey as a leader, you know, um, as a thought leader to have my own thoughts, my own experience, my own needs, my own desires, and to also serve others. Um, I like to call consider myself a servant le- leader. And being that there's 20,000 uh, professionals in our Facebook group for Black Therapists Rock, it can be really, really challenging to both hold space for myself and to create, you know, maintain safety for others, for 20,000 others. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's um, huge. So that's been the biggest challenge, I'll say. And then, you know, and then being responsible for a whole human being at home as a mom, um, just navigating all of those those layers of service and self-care or service and self, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and really trying to learn about that as much as I can, because it's a day-to-day battle or struggle, I will say. Um, of just how much of myself do I give? How much do I hold back? You know, how much do I protect? Um, and so that's definitely an ongoing journey. And as it relates to my own goals in life, you know, like I said, I'm working on my PhD now and mm-hmm. uh, trying to make sure that I serve others well and also serve myself in a way that doesn't burn me out because I'm prone to that. I'm prone to doing too much you know, to being strong, to uh, taking care of everyone except me. Um, And so I've had to really be mindful of what it is, like I said, that I want to, what areas I want to focus in, Um, you know, not being able to do, no one, I don't think anyone can do it all. And, and I've uh, Mm -hmm. stopped trying. (laughs) (laughs) Good. (laughs) Finally. I'm glad for you. (laughs) Yes. I've had to stop trying, you know, and realizing that's a that hard one to stop, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes I need little reminders, like, okay, you need to, you know, ask for help, or you need to slow down, pace yourself, you know. Uh, but I think the more in tune you are with that self energy, that core part of you, the easier that gets, and the more, like, again, the more mindful you are when you're not aligned with what what you're supposed, what you're called to do. Yeah, you know, you, you have that feeling of no, this doesn't feel quite right. You know, am I doing this as something to do or am I doing this as something I need to do for me, Mm -hmm. for my evolution, for my journey, for my growth? And so I'm just constantly more aware of that, meditating on that every day, uh, because there's a lot that I want to do. I'm a doer. (laughs) (laughs) I can see. I can tell. (laughs) I get really excited about doing, you know, as an activist, as, um, you know, as a social worker, that's just. I think it comes a little bit with the territory. We love, we love helping. We love serving. Um, and then you also have to leave space for yourself. Absolutely. I know when I get into that mode, like the doing and the over-functioning, trying to do it all, it's, it's definitely mm-hmm. myself who's trying to survive. And that's the way she thinks mm. it's going to happen to get the most love and to get the most attention the way that she wants it. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't work for me anymore. <laughs> just, no. Yeah. I don't know if you get older, you get tired and you're like, this isn't sustainable. <laughs> you know, like I got arthritis. I in my <laughs> right. I mean, this whole, last, <laughs> yeah. this whole last year, actually, um, I don't know if you know this about me, Duran, I've been traveling the last about year and a half and mm-hmm. As I've traveled, um, I've been resting like crazy. And mm. I do think it's just coming down from all the doing. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. like I'm not doing now. It's just, as you said, I'm, I'm carefully choosing. I'm being intentional. Uh, still have to work on it here and there when mm-hmm. I get in a new, you know, a new thing comes along mm-hmm. or a new environment. So it's something to monitor and keep my eyes on. But I, I just like rested like crazy. I just, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> it yeah. Took, I needed it. Yeah. Yeah. And body keeps the score and it knows, you know, there it, it, is. Knows what, yeah. it knows what you need. It knows what you've done, but there's no secrets from your body. No secrets. Yeah. Yeah. So Duran, tell me about unicorns and your fascination. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked me. Nobody ever gets to ask me about my my infatuation or my passion for unicorns. Um, 
Oh, I'm so honored. No, no one ever does. <laughs> like that doesn't exist. That just isn't a real thing to most people. It's not worthy, I guess. <laughs> oh, it's incredibly worthy. I think yeah. I think there's something here. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it's just that, you know, I believe in magic. I believe that, Aww. you know, dreamers do thrive, uh, that that we have a special gift. I think intuition is important. And I, I don't think that our society or our world gives that enough validation that, you know, there are these these forces that exist that are, you know, beautiful and whimsical and mysteri- mysterious, but are very, very important. And so to me, that's that's the unicorn side of me that that I just embrace that I'm not like everyone, you know, that I don't have to feel yes. like I need to, to fit in or I don't need to feel like um, there's one right way to be, you know, and to me. So unicorns stand out. Um, like I said, they're dreamers. They they defy um, boundaries, if you will. Um, and they're just really expansive, in my opinion. <laughs> it's just the, the way that I see it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to tune into my unicorn side. Yeah. It's my spirit animal. Thank you for that. It's, it's like, oh, it's, yes. yes, where I go to channel the the love and the the beauty of life. Oh, that's great. That's such a great reminder. Yeah. And maybe it's my playful part, like the the childlike part of me that still wants to, you know, believe in rainbows. and. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think that part of us is so important. Yes. I mean, that's where things, possibility can happen yeah. and new creativity mm-hmm. and believing in something yes. that you can't see. Right. Absolutely. Ugh. Faith is so important. So, so important. It is. It is. Well, shall we do a little lightning round, a quick one? Sure. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Um, I like asking this question. Uh, what What's a recent dream you've had? Like a night dream, if you, if you remember your dreams. I don't. These days I don't because the PhD is like, all I can think of until I hit my head on the pillow. And then it's like, don't think about anything. Um, oh, you just have to shut down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I miss dreaming. <laughs> I miss sleep oh. right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I hope you get back to dreaming yes. at some point <laughs> and sleep as well. <laughs> oh, well, what parts are you working with right now? Um, I kind of want to go back to your last question. I know it's a lightning round, but um oh sure yeah I think I dream out loud now like I dream when I'm awake um I really feel like I'm living my dreams like uh that I I I say that that's another gift of IFS is that I'm more present um with that like I said that playful side that unicorn side now walks along with me instead of being buried and hidden it's something that I'm very open to and um aligned with and and that I experience on a day-to-day basis so I would say that I, I really do feel like I'm living my dreams. Like, I don't know what the best dream could be because I feel like every day is it, if that makes sense. I don't know if that sounds too cliche, but. Oh, yeah. The, I mean, I'm doing work that I absolutely love. I get to spend so much time with my son that most parents, single parents don't get to spend. Um, you know, I feel like I have a lot of privileges in my life that really do feel like a dream for a, a little black girl who grew up in Texas with a mother who was on drugs and had mental health issues like that all just feels, this feels like a dream. You've really created your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Powerful. Thank you. So uh, my next question is what parts are you working with right now? Um, Working with parts. Oh, that's funny. She asked. Uh, This is one that I am really, it's hard for me to befriend, but I have a part that bashes men. <laughs> you know, that's uh, you know, that's pretty pissed off at times when it comes to patriarchy mm-hmm. and misogyny and she's not unburdened yet like she's very angry about the pain and suffering of women that has been very pervasive in in all of society no no matter where you go i was in china actually yes. uh about four or five months ago doing a seven-day ifs workshop and just the legacy burdens of what it meant to be a woman. And it was exactly around the same time as the Kavanaugh uh, situation or 
you know, foolishness is all I can <laughs> That's that part. She's like, we just have no, it's a very no nonsense when it comes to this overpowering of women and this intrusiveness of uh, women's bodies and our needs and our, who we just, our need to be, to be human and to be valued. It's just, yeah. it's, she is very intolerant of that. Um, and so I've been really trying to work with that part to see that they also are impacted by that, that men also are harmed by patriarchy and misogyny. And it's not just women who are suffering, um, yeah. that they're suffering on both sides. I can hear a different. Yeah. Yeah. I can hear a different part of you come in online when you say that. <laughs> but the... Yeah. There's a little, I'm able to tap into self energy at times, you know, an unblendment, but if I like part of her doesn't want to unblend, she's like, no, we want to be mad. We want to be pissed off. Yeah. At the men. <laughs> For sure. And and validly so. Right. But I have to, and and I'm grateful to the men. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, it's a really vulnerable part for me uh, because I was also sexually abused. I was sexually abused by a woman um, as a child, but I believe she was sexually abused by a man. Um, And so I I am Mm -hmm. so grateful to the men in my life who helped remind me you know, of the balance of things and that, you know, it's it's easy to get one-sided. It's so easy to get trapped in your pain and only see that perspective and not to see how everyone is connected and how, um, you know, compassion and love is really the only, the only answer to it. Yeah. You know, I feel like when we get there, it's, it's sort of like, that part mm-hmm. of us is digging in their heels mm-hmm. and saying, no, I need you to yeah. see this big time. But, but yeah, I completely understand too, finding that other side and right. getting yeah. there at some point, <laughs> yeah. if not now. Yeah. And I think that part is alive yeah. in so many people right now, men and women and other, you know, right. In, in a lot of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How are you affected by the moon? The moon. Um, that's a new phenomenon for me. Uh, people think that I've been a meditating uh-huh. spiritual guru for a long time. I'm like, no, this is like real new to me. It's probably within the last year that I've started to really um, understand and learn about. I've been taught, I would say. Um, Daphne Fuller, hopefully she gets to hear this at some point. Uh, she is the founder of Black Minds and Meditation. And she's also a member of Black Therapist Rock. But she has this movement where she's really trying to get more people of color to, and specifically Black people, to engage with things like yoga and energy uh, healing. And she is the one who introduced me to meditation and, um, you know, understanding the universe and, um, you know, knowing that we are connected to the universe. That's been a foreign concept in my life um, up until the last year. And so now I'm very, very, very aware of the moon cycles And I think it's interesting because as a Muslim, you know, the holidays and the schedule, the calendars all based around the sun and the moon. Yet I didn't, I didn't connect that to my emotional experience, you know, that the reasons why things exist the way they do. Um, But I'm grateful now for that, that new learning that, you know, it's, it's important to know what's going on in the, in the universe, in in our planet. And how that impacts me as a part of that. Absolutely. Wow. You know, that's surprising for me to hear that this has only been the last year that you've been in this, Mm -hmm. I guess, language set maybe or belief set because you're you're just in it. You're in it now. And I think that was why it was so important for me to create Black Therapist Rock is because a lot of things we just haven't had access to. You know, I'm now realizing just how huge the disparity is of yeah. What we're, you know, what we're, what resources we have, what language we have, uh, what theories we're presented with. Uh, like most Black therapists had not heard of IFS before I started to be an advocate for it. And when did you start doing that? This was about, I would say, two years now. Wow. Um, yeah. I, you know, had my own healing experience with IFS and I was just so passionate about it because I had never been seen in this way as for all the different uh, layers that I bring to the table, right? As a Black woman, parent, veteran, you know, all of those different things. 
to be able to look at all of those and hold space for them all um, and, and the totality of who I am, that I'm not one label. Um, as we are often, you know, we're often placed in one box. You're an angry black woman yeah. or you're a single parent only, or you're, you know, you can't be, you can only be one thing in a lot of the um, theories of psychology and sociology. And so I just, when I discovered IFS, I was just like, well, there's a whole nother world that was open to me. And I see that a lot amongst black therapists is that we've only been given access to the things that were kind of close, closely available to us. If it's, you know, over a certain dollar amount, if it requires mm-hmm. travel, then there's a barrier. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And I think that what you're saying too, about how impactful IFS has been for you, it's, it, it gives such space for that complexity and it, it, it releases the pressure around, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you, if you have to claim your anger, but then you feel like you're going to be pinned as the angry black woman, mm-hmm. then, then why would you claim that anger? <laughs> you know, like it could be dangerous. It could feel scary. Yeah. And the other thing that I realized, I said, everybody, you know, there's this common notion of angry black women, but no one's ever stopped and asked them what they're angry about. Yeah. Like, how many times do you ever sit a black woman down and say, well, tell me why you're angry. And thankfully, I had an IFS therapist who was able to do that for me, oh. you know, and the first time she asked me, it was, it threw me off. I'm like, well, she, she really validated my anger. Actually, she didn't ask me what I was angry about. She said, you have a lot to be mm-hmm. angry about. And even more importantly, you have a lot to be sad about, a lot to, to mm-hmm. grieve. And that was like this opening of a whole nother layer of emotions that I had, that had not been available to me before. Mm. I wasn't allowed to go there. You weren't allowed to be, to, to say that you're, to agree with being the angry black woman and what might be underneath that. It just was a no go, <laughs> you know, it was a very. Yeah. Like uh, you're blamed for it, but you're not really allowed to go there. Uh-uh. No. Yeah. That's really interesting. I'm just thinking about my own relationship to anger, how it's evolved. And I, was never pinned the angry Asian woman, you know, and, um, and yet there was this experience of, you can't be angry. And, and I was full of rage, you know, and had to work with a lot of that. That's another legacy burden of patriarchy is that men are only angry. They're not allowed to be sad. You know, Mm -hmm. they can only be angry and women are only allowed to be nice. Right. 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 All of these things that are placed on us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that we place on each other. That limits us. It really, truly, it just limits our experience. It blocks, you know, our ability to connect and to have compassion for one another. Yeah. Because we're so much more than just that one thing that can be noticed in us. We're, we're just complex with all these different parts. Right. Well, thank you, Duran. This was lovely. I I really enjoyed hearing from you and um, I feel very inspired as well. Is there anything else you want to share today? No, just that I think I want to leave everyone on the idea of, uh, you know, in these times where there's so much polarization and so much disagreement politically, socially, um, on a lot of different constructs, I think it's really important to tap into when you disagree, what's coming up? You mm-hmm. know, when it, when we had that urge to say, I don't think you're right. You have to be you're absolutely wrong. There's no way you could be right. And what does that mean if they are? What's the fear behind that? Um, you know, I had an interaction with someone today that just said, you know, there should be a white therapist rock. And, um, you know, I had to sit with myself and say, okay, what what is it that's getting stirred up for me? <laughs> you know, I can attack him. I can, you know, do all of those things. Those are those are really easy things to do. But the harder part is to have a conversation that involves mm-hmm. me being vulnerable, right? That that in, involves me truly sharing what I'm really feeling, the sadness that I feel when people say things like that. Um, and how do we have these conversations together in community so that we don't reject one another or, you know, go back into our corners and you just create more hate? whether it's with men and women, whether it's with people of different cultures, different religions, different sexual orientations, different abilities. Um, I just think there's so much to us for us to learn from each other when we peel back the surface layers of the labels. 
Yeah. And what I'm really getting from what you're saying is notice those moments where something gets you, where something something in you reacts and go a little deeper with it and then feel into your heart and open up a bit. Exactly. Thank you for that. Wonderful. Well, it's been fabulous to have you. Thank you so much. Duran, where can people find you? Yes, I'm very, very, very active on Facebook. <laughs> in case you didn't know. No, really? <laughs> if you haven't already seen me there. Um, you can find me all over Facebook. Uh, I have a personal page that some people enjoy following. I also have a business page where I'm trying to be more active um, in regards to activism and racial trauma, just um, exploring the, the the complexities of racial trauma. And then uh, we have Black Therapist Rock has a public page as well. And of course, we have a website where you can learn more about our events and our activities that we have coming up. Uh, throughout 2019, we have a Facebook-sponsored project where we're going to be doing more communal healing activities. Uh, we want to do a cruise in the fall, mm -hmm. so be on the lookout for that. That discusses legacy burdens. Um, and so we want to bring people from various backgrounds together, again, to have these conversations in a very healthy and safe way that furthers us in love. Um, we're going to be having, uh, like I said, some workshops uh, where people can get CEUs and understand the ethical aspect, you know, as helpers, that we have a commitment to want to connect with other individuals in a deeper way if we want to help them in their mental health journey. And so those are some of the things that we have coming up. You can uh, find more out about that at the website, www.blacktherapistrock.com. Um, and I look forward to meeting folks in person or online. That's awesome, Duran. I just want to ask too, um, who's invited in the Black Therapist Rock community? Well, so we kind of have layers of, uh, of involvement. So our Facebook group is really for a place for us to kind of connect and, and explore what it means to be a Black therapist with each other amongst our peers. Um, and so that's what that's really been a secret for. Uh, and so the the Facebook group is for Black therapists. The um, events, the uh, Facebook, the pay public page, all the other spaces are inclusive. And we warmly welcome folks to follow us and get involved in the conversations and to actually come out and engage with us in person. Um, because this is not, you know, Black mental health is not a topic that should only be involved with Black people. I really think it's a... Um, an issue or a challenge that needs everyone involved. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, there's just one more thing I wanted to mention too, Duran. Have you heard of Family Constellations? I, I keep hearing about it. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're probably like the sixth or seventh person that have, has mentioned it. So I, I probably should do some research on it. Oh, well, we can talk about it more. And and yeah, if, yeah. yeah um, it's something I practice and it's working with the ancestry uh, mm. We don't use the words legacy burdens, but with what you're saying, it's so similar. It's like looking at um, not from a, an analytical or mentally analyzing perspective, but opening up mm -hmm. a space where um, we embody what is happening in the ancestry without knowing the information yeah. even mentally. So we just step into those spaces yeah. of uh, mother, father, and farther back, grandparents, whoever. Yeah. And we start to see what's uh, the dynamic that's going on or where we're tied to bonds of pain or stories untold and unseen in our ancestry, yeah. where then we're carrying them through in our life. And so I just wanted to bring that up and connect that with what you're sharing around legacy burden. Um, and maybe that's a whole other conversation for us, but um, yeah, it's, it's such good work. Well, I want to just say, you know, that I think that what's been helpful to me, or let me just go to, to one of the biggest challenges that I experienced as a Black person, mm -hmm. that I think is a unique legacy burden for us, is that our, so much of our legacy has been cut off. You know, I know that other cultures experience that, but to, you know, to be able to go back in your heritage and not know where someone was sold or, mm -hmm. you know, it gets very, very complicated. Um, and so I've had to really depend on like spiritual guides. Like when I go to Africa, 
I really get in touch with how my spirit feels there mm-hmm. and, and what really, you know, kind of uh, enriches my, my spirit uh, when I'm in the land of where I believe my ancestors came from. But if anyone, I'm going to put this challenge out to your viewers and maybe my, my followers, if anyone has ties to folks in the family constellations uh, work, I would love to really just uh, maybe create a relationship with them and, and learn more of how more Black therapists can be um, utilizing that work to help us with this legacy burden of slavery and you know this disconnect between Africa and, and African-Americans. Absolutely. I, I know of some folks that are specifically working with that. Uh, I might have to do a little research for you, but... Um... I would also be open to talking with you more about it in terms of just overall Mm cross-cultural work and what you're saying about that disconnection Mm -hmm. to your ancestry. That's huge. Yes. It's huge because when you can find that reconnection, um, whether that's in real life or through the constellations work, IFS is like the internal family system work. Mm -hmm. Family constellations is seeing it externally, seeing what's mm. bi- what's internal externally mm. through strangers, and so you can work with where where the cutoff was and who was back there, and you may not know who was back there just yet, but as the picture unfolds of who's in this system, who's in this ancestry and lineage that reconnection can happen and, oh, it's incredibly powerful. Mm. I'm intrigued for sure. Yeah. A, a little scary because I'm like, my ancestors were dealing with some some major stuff. Oh, so yeah. I don't, <laughs> so it, it provokes a little anxiety for me. Yes. Uh, but I'm very intrigued to to definitely learn more. I definitely need to to look into it and like I said, get connected into that populate to that community of folks that are doing that work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the really cool thing too, is that, um, like I said, you don't have to know any mental information, mm-hmm. especially if you're in discovery mode of it, you want to know, I, I think it can open up intuitively. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the participants that are representing different parts of your ancestry will just come up with something or they'll have an intuition or a hit on something or they'll start speaking in a way that is of the energy of what who's back there. And it's mm. it just comes through them, like channeling through them. And um, even I've worked with people who've been adopted and so have had a different mm-hmm. kind of disconnection. Right. But that that reconnection can bring so much love and strength and and then it starts to open up in their real life that they come to find out more yeah. or they start to reconnect in ways that are so unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for letting me share that bit with you. I, I, I think it's just wonderful to talk about this too, with your work in IFS and with culture and, and legacy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And I appreciate you very much. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it was wonderful to have Duran on the show, and I just loved hearing about her perspective of internal family systems and how she uses it to heal racial trauma for herself, with her clients, in workshops, and how she's really brought that to a whole community of people that um, didn't before know about the work. I hope that you got just as much out of it and that inspires you to look at your different parts or to work with Uh, any pains and wounds that you've had in terms of societal trauma, racial trauma, ethnic trauma, gender, any, any identity, any parts of you that have felt wounded. It is a lovely platform to use to access those parts of you for healing and to give safety in that, um, in that process so that you can get to the core of what has hurt you and what energy is there for you to reclaim. So if you want to learn more about Duran and her work, check out her website, check out Black Therapist Rock. And also if you want to learn more about IFS or voice dialogue, you can search IFS or check out in the show notes that are linked to this. We'll put some 
good links there to learn more information about both of those. Well, that's all we have for you today. I thank you so much for joining us again. And I'm always thankful to hear your thoughts, reactions, questions, and what comes of this conversation for you. So feel free to always reach out to me. Or if you want to stay connected in another way, feel free to join my newsletter that comes out every other week. You can join at candicewu.com slash embody. And that is a place where you can connect with me and learn more about what I'm up to, as well as receive self-love notes, events, the podcast, and other, other exciting things that are going on. As I mentioned earlier, be sure to check out the dream class that was just created. And there are going to be a couple more that are coming out that will delve into embodying your dreams. But first, preparing your, your body for uh, better remembering your dreams. And that's at candacewu.com slash dream physiology. Thanks again for joining me today and see you next time on the Embody Podcast. Thank you.